I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be seated. In the summer before my senior year of high school, uh, my high school band took a trip to Washington, D.C. to play a concert on the National Mall. It was my first time to the nation's capital, and it was the first time I was utterly awestruck by architecture and buildings. As most school groups do, the height at the height of the season, we hit all of the major attractions, including the White House, the monuments, the Smithsonian's. But pulling up to the Capitol building, it gave me this overwhelming sense of awe. I mean, the buildings and grounds are massive, far larger than anything I had seen up to this point in my life as a young man in rural Texas. Our tour was given to us at night by our then congressman, and the amazing thing was that he was enough of a history buff that we got the full corner-to-corner tour where story after story was told. I will never forget, however, the moment I walked into the rotunda. Standing in that 180-foot expanse between the marble beneath my feet and the canopy depicting the apotheosis of George Washington, I, for the first time, realized the power that resided in those walls and that the depiction of the first president in a godlike way was a strategy to reinforce the American ideals of strength, power, and expansion. Yes, I realized that this building with its Doric and Corinthian columns made of cast iron, sandstone, and marble was not only the seat of our democracy, but, we, but would be remarked as a modern day temple to democracy. Similarly, the first century temple was the center of Jewish civilization. It was the fulcrum from which all religion, history, and culture radiated. With King Herod's expansion of the temple, this thousand-year-old structure was seen as central to the history and expansion of this nation. When Jesus and his disciples visited the temple for the first time, I can imagine them much like the tourists at the Capitol building. I can imagine that they viewed this building made of enormous stones and precious metals, much like I viewed the rotunda, absolutely awestruck. So you can imagine the disciples' dismay when Jesus looks at them and says, do you not see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. I can imagine the disciples' frustration at hearing these words of temple destruction when they're literally standing in the temple. Can we relate to the disciples' frustration, though? We love our things. We love our houses, our cars, our clothes, our health, and our wealth. We love shiny new buildings, the economy that's humming along, the world's most powerful military. We like these things because they make us feel safe. If you're like me, I'd rather not hear the stories of moths and rust consuming and destroying my possessions. As much as I don't want to admit it, I like my things, and I certainly don't want to lose my material possessions, nor its material status. Our economy works for some, not all, and yet our society moves literal mountains to keep it performing, preventing its collapse. We are drunk with a dark fear that we will eventually die and arrive in glory with nothing. Everything we spent our lives building will stay here, and yet we will be gone. 
Facing our own mortality is scary. And talk of end times is something many of us try to avoid. Yet much of the Gospels come from messianic and apocalyptic people who spent their days waiting for the end. The Gospel writers must have agreed on the temple story's importance because Luke tells about it in today's Gospel. Mark tells a similar story in chapter 13 of his Gospel. Matthew in chapter 24. And even John alludes to the temple destruction in chapter 2 of his Gospel. This is part of the reason why the upcoming Advent readings are full of end-time revelations. The gospel writers expected the world to end soon, so they anxiously awaited their fate and all of Jesus' predictions to come true. As the temple's destruction is forecasted, the disciples ask the age-old question, how do we live today when we don't know what tomorrow holds? The disciples were understandably nervous, and in typical fashion, they asked Jesus a question. Tell us, what will, what will the, when will this be? What will be the sign of all things that are to be accomplished? Jesus' response is less than ideal when he replies, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. It must take place. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, that really isn't the answer we were looking for. We're asking for a timeline of end times, and you respond by telling us that war is inevitable? Great! <laughs> but how do we make plans and prepare for this bad stuff if we don't have any idea of when it will happen? How do we live today when we don't know what tomorrow holds? In place of an easy Sunday school answer, consider what Jesus offers all of us. The profound truth that regardless of what happens tomorrow, God is still in charge. We don't know what comes tomorrow, but we know God calls us to love neighbor as self and to work toward a just society and a loving community. God calls us to love with radical and reckless abandon. When we don't know what tomorrow holds, we partner with God, giving all that we have. And God has work for us to do. And Sunday mornings are just the start. Jesus starts a revolution in which the last are first. The proud are scattered, the lowly are lifted up. God fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. Jesus starts a revolution in which the sick get healed. The poor are blessed and we are all beloved children of God. Jesus starts a revolution, but it depends in large part on our participation. Are we ready? Are we truly in? When we read today's story in the context of Luke's full gospel, Jesus drops this temple bomb right before setting his face toward Jerusalem. All will be thrown down, he says. And if you fast forward in history by 70 years, all is thrown down and all that would be left of the temple is a pile of rubble. The same fate befalls the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire after it, and the British Empire after it. Buildings like the temple and the Capitol building that shape our existence, buildings that were made to last far longer than any single generation, all eventually meet the same fate. Fragile people build fragile things. Even the temple that Jesus was standing in and speaking of, the one that nearly everyone in the ancient world would marvel after, 
was the second temple constructed on that site. Yet death and destruction never get the last word. Jerusalem does rise from the Roman Empire's ashes. Jesus dies a criminal's death at the hands of a brutal empire, but we know that that's just Friday. Sunday rolls around and takes death with it. Resurrection is found in an empty tomb, and all the while, God is still in charge. We must remember, though, that Jesus doesn't promise easy living. Jesus does not say that the temple remains, that we avoid death, or that pain goes away. Jesus does, however, promise that God is with us, that God is in charge, and we can trust in God when everything around us is crumbling and we can no longer trust anyone or anything else. What we do today, when we, what do we do today when we don't know what tomorrow holds? We try to figure out what God is up to in this world, and we seek humbly to get on board with that plan. That's not a simple answer, but it's a posture we can strive to adopt. Martin Luther adopted this posture when asked what to do when he thought the end was coming. His advice? Plan a tree. In other words, invest hopefully in the future, because blessed are those who plant trees under whose shade they will never sit. Have you ever prayed in a time of uncertainty, in a time of waiting? Consider the beauty of today's reading from Isaiah. To the people who knew exactly what it means to lose a temple, God says, I am about to create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. So be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. How do we live today when we don't know what tomorrow holds? We draw strength from God who invites our participation and endures long after the cities and buildings and stones have crumbled. We adopt a posture that asks not what God can do for us, but calls us to bring the kingdom of God just a little bit closer. We love neighbor as self and we strive for just societies and stable planet new heavens, and new earth. We pray without ceasing, and we trust in a mighty God from all blessings flow. This is the essential vocation of this church, to stand tall in the middle of chaos and confusion in the world and keep hitting the same pitch so we can tune our ears. This is who we are. It's what we're about. Over and over and over again we sing. Why? Because our claim on tomorrow changes the way we live today. God is faithful when everything around us is falling apart. Our job is to keep telling that truth, to keep living into that truth. Because when all is said and done, it's the only truth that matters. Amen.